Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy One Hit Thunder, which I'm assuming you do considering you're listening to it right now, I want to tell you about another great music podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. It's called Riffs on Riffs. On this season of Riffs on Riffs, hosts Toby Braswell and Joe Watson are breaking down one iconic pop song each week. Everything from Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer to Journey's Don't Stop Believin' to Naughty by Nature's OPP. Each week, they crack open the song, trace its history, decode those cryptic lyrics, and unearth the hidden gems in its musical DNA. Not only do they dive into the song's history, lyrics, and impact, they also go down some fun and oftentimes hilarious rabbit holes. So yeah, if you're a fan of One Hit Thunder, I think you'll also enjoy Riffs on Riffs. So go hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. Songwriting duo Boy Meets Girl wrote chart-topping songs for several iconic artists, but it wasn't until their 1988 single, Waiting for a Star to Fall, that they made a name for themselves as performers. The song was an enduring adult contemporary juggernaut, even finding its way into the hit film Three Men and a Little Lady a few years later. Even after their marriage ended, their song collaborations forged ahead, and they continue to release pop gems even today. This week, we explore their story and their songs, and we try to decide if boy really should have met girl in the first place. to talk about the powerhouse pop duo of George Merrill and Shannon Rubicam, otherwise known as Boy Meets Girl, famous for their song Waiting for a Star to Fall. I believe this was one of my suggestions for an episode. This was one of your suggestions and uh, the the patrons voted uh, to to have us talk about it. And right out the gate, Mm -hmm. first thing that I read when I look up this band is not... That they wrote Waiting for a Star to Fall, which they did. Mm -hmm. Hit jam. It's that they wrote, 
I want to dance with somebody for Whitney Houston, as well as How Will I Know. Both good songs, but I want to dance with somebody is like top tier 80s pop song in my mind. Yeah, I mean, that's very impressive. We're calling them a one-hit wonder because the project known as Boy Meets Girl definitely qualifies. But George and Shannon as songwriters are definitely not one-hit wonders. In fact, the song that we're talking about today isn't the biggest hit that they wrote. I think I, w- I Want to Dance with Somebody and How Will I Know were both bigger songs than this. I love this song, Waiting for a Star to Fall. It is 80s cheese at its best. Did you see some of the other artists that they wrote some songs with? I did. It's an impressive resume. <laughs> yeah, they wrote songs for Denise Williams, who famously sings Let's Hear It for the Boy, which they did not write, but they sang backing they vocals They did the backing vocals <laughs> And on they it. also wrote a song that was a duet between Dolly Parton and Smokey Robinson that later was covered by Bette Midler for the Beaches soundtrack. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's right there. So here's the funny thing. We talk about how if you could be a one-hit wonder and you could spin that career as a one-hit wonder into something, mm-hmm. like Dan Wilson is like our prime example sometimes. We're like, look at what this guy did. They did this before they wrote their own one hit. Wow. Those were before it? That was before it. Oh. Because from what I understand, this song was shopped around to a couple different artists. Oh, yeah. That's right. So they had already established themselves as a songwriting duo. And this was actually written for Whitney Houston. So reportedly, the song was inspired when they watched an actual falling star mm-hmm. at one of Whitney Houston's concerts at the Greek Theater. The duo then submitted the song to Houston for consideration for her next album, but her producer, Clive Davis, rejected it. Then, American singer uh, Belinda Carlisle recorded the song, but then decided to not put it on her album, and that's when they just decided to record and release it themselves. Screw it. We'll do it ourselves. Yeah, so two two in a row, they were just like, "Mm, maybe not. So that's, that's wild. And so you played this song. And we put on the music video. Mm -hmm. And I said this, and I said it somewhat jokingly, but I was sincere. Especially the opening of this song makes me think of late 80s, early 90s TGIF sitcom. Sure. And then it's like kids blowing bubbles and them (laughs) jumping in the beach. And it really felt like in the sitcom opening credit sequence. Our favorite moment from the music video that happens within like the first 20 seconds is George standing up against like what looks like a fence, I think like leaning on a fence and just getting (laughs) doused with water. (laughs) Like a a big part of this music video is George and Shannon, like running on the beach and into the waves. But this, (laughs) this shot was somebody basically threw a bucket of water at him and they put it in slow motion. Ocean. I don't understand it, but I love it. It literally, it couldn't feel more sitcommy unless he like turned around and gave like an OU look to the camera while his name came <laughs> yeah, up. At starring the George Merrill. <laughs> Let's also note the Boy Meets Girl is also very appropriate because I believe they were a couple. They were definitely a couple. They were a couple, and I do have to applaud them because part of the end of the Boy Meets Girl project was that they were married in the eighties. And they divorced in the early 2000s. But they have still continued to have a musical collaboration to this very day. Well, you know, I got to say, I, I was thinking to myself, and I've, I've never been in a relationship with someone that was like a pursuing music. Yeah. And I don't know what that would be like. I don't know if that could be weird or, or what. But also I was wondering, like, if 
what you do for a career you're doing together with your significant other, could that, I can imagine that could be a pretty cool thing. You're on tour together. You have each other. You're wherever you go. It's like, you're not most of the time, if you're in a relationship and you're out on tour, you're out doing something, you're missing that other person. So it's cool in that aspect, but also it could be, it could be a strain on the relationship. If you're together, not only in your career, but also in your personal life, it might be like a situation where you're like, Oh Jesus Christ, can we get Can we get away from each other for a minute? I always said it like this. I don't know if I would necessarily want to be in a relationship with someone that I do a podcast with, hmm. per se. But I would love to be in a relationship with someone who's maybe also an artist or an actress or someone who has to go to a lot of the same convention-like events mm-hmm. that I go to. But But in the sense of like, we can go do our own things. You know what I mean? Like I might be hanging out manning the table for two straight days, but it's like, oh, but you're like going off to network or you have a separate table where you're doing your artwork or something where it's like, we get to be in the same scope, but it's not like we're attached at the hip moving together everywhere the entire weekend. I hope you find this person. I, I think, do too. I think she's out there for you, man. If you think that you're this person. Yes. <laughs> contact us, us at the Instagram page for One Hit Thunder. That's right. So you and I sat down together and watched some Boy Meets Girl video, which is the advantage of when you're out here and we're oh, recording episodes together. Best stuff. The best Yeah. I, I, to this day, think that the Was Not Was episode would not be nearly as quality if we weren't cuddled up on the couch watching a bunch of their music videos. <laughs> Did you say cuddled up on cuddled the couch? Cuddled up on the couch. <laughs> yes. I, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm fine with the, with the listeners thinking that we cuddle while, while, we, while, we, while we watch Boy Meets Girl music videos. Yes. Yes. You can be the George Merrill. I want to be the Shannon in that situation. You can be the George Merrill. I noticed we went back and watched their first single from 1985, their leadoff single, Oh Girl, which went to number 39 on the Billboard yeah, 100. just cracked into that 40. The album went to number 76. But we watched that video, and we both had the same thought. George looks like the prototype for what would later become Kiefer Sutherland's character in The Lost Boys. 100%. He looks just like David. Yes. Blonde beard, blonde hair with a blonde mullet. like Kind of like a beater jacket on. Like Yeah, we had to figure out what came first. Yep. The, the the old the old chicken and the egg. What came first, George <laughs> from Boy Meets Girl or the uh, Kiefer Sutherland from The Lost Boys? And actually, you and I kind of believe that that character was based off of George from Boy Meets yeah, Girl. Joel Schumacher must have been watching some MTV, mm-hmm. saw this minor hit video show up, and said, "I found the look for my vampire." Right. Um, the song "Oh Girl." Uh, my thoughts about it was it wasn't great. It was upbeat. But forgettable. It's upbeat and forgettable. Uh, look, I'm going to play a hand right now. I honestly think of all of the non-Waiting for My Star to Fall songs, the newest song they released is the next well, best song. We'll, we'll, we'll get, get there. But yeah. I think that that was the next best song that they had. Yeah. I mean, as far as singles that had music videos and stuff. I mean, yeah. I, guess... I mean, yeah. We didn't dive into the whole like f- five album catalog. But yeah. Let's talk about Waiting for a Star to Fall. This song came out on their... Their second album, Real Life, spelled R-E-E-L. And it peaked at number five on the Billboard 100, but number one on the adult contemporary chart, which, yes, this is the most adult contemporary song I've ever heard in my life. So did you take a look at what else was on that top 10 when it peaked at number five? I Well, no, actually, I didn't. So you got to fill me in. All right. So here's a few. 
I, yeah. I try to just pick and choose ones worth calling out. So the number one song was Chicago's Look Away, oh. which I barely even look remember. Look away, that. baby, look okay, away. Okay, yeah, yeah. Don't look at me. Also, it's December 17th, 1988, when this guy hits number five. Okay. Um, also on the charts in the within the top 10 was that at number nine, you had Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. Wow. Welcome to the Jungle. Couldn't couldn't beat out waiting for a star to fall. Not, not yet, anyway. Number eight, Breathe with How Can I Fall, which I've never heard that song before. Breathe, How Can I... Well, Breathe sings ha- Hands to Heaven. Yeah. So... That's why I wrote it down. I was like, I know you mentioned a group named Breathe. Wow. So, Breathe, we can't do an episode about Breathe. I thought for sure Hands to Heaven is... Tonight I need your sweet caress. Hold me. I'll never get tired of you singing this to me this week. (laughs) Yeah, I sang it to you so many times. It's 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 one of those songs which I feel like you would love because it's one of those songs that seems like it's a love song, but it's actually a song about Jesus. Yeah, it's very Jesus-y. Yeah. Uh, Number four, Bobby Brown with My Prerogative. Ooh, okay. So that's what was keeping Boy Meets Girl from getting higher was Bobby Brown. Oh, wait a second. No, oh, that was number four. That was number four. Okay. And then the number two one that I wrote down was Poison's Every Rose Has Its Thorn. Okay. All right. What was number one? Number one was that Chicago Look Away song. Oh, right, 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 right. So it did pretty well. And I wonder if the reason it got that high or what helped it get that high was the fact that it was prominently featured in the, the closing of Three Men and a Little Lady. Which, yeah, the sequel to Three Men and a Baby. Right. I don't know if that was as... Big of a film as Three Men and a Baby, but... I remember it being pretty big. I mean, you had the big three. Gutenberg, Selleck, and Danson. Yeah, they didn't They didn't switch out one for a new. <laughs> no, I mean, you, you kept the core together there. I wonder, Matt, do you have any of the... <laughs> do you have any of the Three Men albums on DVD? <laughs> no, I don't, actually. Wow, you better add that to the list. I actually only watched Three Men and a Baby for the first time maybe a year ago when it was added to Disney+. Plus. I mean, you're talking about the height, Ted Danson still on Cheers, Gutenberg still in the police academies, and Selleck is Magnum P.I. Yeah. You know, like you had a big three right there. Those guys were stars. So in the opening weekend of Three Men and a Little Lady, it, cr- it grossed $19.1 million and it finished second behind what? Do you know what movie it finished second behind? I'm on the Wikipedia page, Aww. so I have. Sorry, I was checking the the budget. I was just about to say, oh man, but it couldn't defeat Home Alone, yeah. which I'm sure was like in the middle of that mammoth run where I think Home Alone was like the number one movie for weeks and weeks on end. Yeah, nothing you could do about the phenomena known as Home Alone. But right now, Three Men and a Little Lady has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 37. percent I want to know the people that are going on Rotten Tomatoes to leave a rating for Three Men and a Little Lady. I don't know who these. It might be one of those things where it has three ratings. <laughs> Home Alone was the number one film for 12 consecutive weeks. That makes sense. Upon release, it was finally toppled over by Sleeping with the Enemy, but it remained in the top 10 until April. Well past Easter weekend. It came out in November. Wow. That doesn't happen today. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah. Did you know that in June 2010, they were trying to make it into a trilogy and trying to develop three men and a bride? So you're trying to... You're trying oh. to combine Father of the Bride with three men, three men and a baby. It didn't happen. It was abandoned because it was trying to be developed by Disney. But you, do you know what did happen? What is happening? Uh, the reboot that's coming out. Yeah. Zach Efron. I wonder who the other two men are. 
I don't know because it also the Wikipedia page also says that it's scheduled for a 2022 release, and we've yeah. only got about a month left in that. Well, thing. yeah, by actually, the by the time this episode comes out, they've got two days to surprise us. Right. So apparently, it's still being made. We only know that Zac Efron is attached to it, and it's supposed to be exclusive for Disney Plus. And I, I don't know if it's actually happening. I honestly don't care if it, <laughs> if it happens, but. The fact of the matter is that it couldn't have hurt Boy Meets Girl that their song was featured no, in this blockbuster No, but the song movie. did peak two years before this came out. Oh, so are you be- serious? Yeah, because it peaked in 1988 and Three Men and a Little Girl came out in 1990. Three Men and a Little Girl. Okay, so the song was already two years old. So it didn't help the song. I mean, maybe it, maybe it reinstated the song into people's consciousness or something, but this was already a hit. They took an already hit song. This... The fact that it was in the closing credits of that song had nothing to do with the fact that uh, it was a hit. Yeah. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Hey, one-hit thunders, thunderheads, thunder buns. All right, I'll just go with one-hit thunder listeners. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song that they have written. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites such as Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurwitz, up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu, and even some of the artists that have been featured on One Hit Thunder. The show is even produced by One Hit Thunder host Chris Fafalius. What more could you possibly ask for? Krista Makes a Podcast is available for free 
on all the places you listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. I guarantee you'll like it, or we'll give you your money back. I love the sweet saxophone that starts this song. The the saxophone definitely adds to the the you know how you always talk about how you imagine someone hearing music and looking at their two friends and yelling, This is rock music. Uh-huh. I felt that with like, this is the eighties. Right. <laughs> like when that starts playing. <laughs> yes, <like>, right. <laughs> like it is screaming at you, yeah, this is an eighties movie. <laughs> yes. And this song definitely has very relatable lyrics for anyone who's ever been in love with someone who they feel is unattainable. You know, it's an upbeat, happy song about how if this person would notice you and and be the one and you would be the one lucky enough to receive their end of the affection, that that would be like a star falling, you know? Yeah. I mean, take yourself back to 1988. Okay. Imagine being totally in love with someone Mm -hmm. and that person finally reciprocating that love. Imagine that feeling and imagine this song kicks in. Yeah. That sax playing just as the first kiss happens. What an amazing feeling. Fireworks going off at the beach. Bubbles everywhere. Babies (laughs) bursting bubbles. Guys getting doused with water. Dancing in the waves. What a feeling. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever felt that much elation before yeah it does not exist mm-hmm. in my mind right yeah i think it's it's a beautiful thought man and george and shannon were experiencing that they were in love they wrote a beautiful song and it was a hit could you imagine the love they must have made <laughs> the day this reached number five and maybe they got a check for some money and took a vacation took a romantic vacation together? i well so yes and no Wow. Because here's the other thing that we do have to not forget. Hmm. It's not like they were new. Like, it was probably exciting. But they just a couple, two years earlier had written, I want to dance with somebody that was a number one hit. I'm sure they had their celebratory check <laughs> vacation on that, on the yeah. back of that one more than, than this. This was probably just a, hey, let's go back to that place we celebrated the Whitney Houston stuff at. Well, this is like a true victory, though, because they wrote those songs for someone else. Obviously, one of the greatest singers of all time performed their song. So, yeah. But this was, like, satisfying. It's like, yo, we don't need Whitney Houston to have a hit song. We yeah. can do this. Yeah. I mean, that that I could see the fulfilling nature of just being like, it ain't. Because you know what that proves to yourself at that point is that it's not about the star that's singing it. It's yes. about the people who wrote it. It's about the song. Yeah. One thing I did notice that on all these singles, except one that we didn't talk about, it seems like George is the lead singer and Shannon's just providing some backup. Yeah, she throws some harmony in there here and there, but that's about it. Yeah, like if I wouldn't have known this was Boy Meets Girl, I would have thought this was like <laughs> some singer that I was like, oh, that George Merrill. By, yeah. Yeah, like I, I don't know. You know, we dug into some of their other songs, like the follow-up to this song was a song called Bring Down the Moon, which peaked at number 49. That one has a lot more trading off of vocals. You do hear her featured on that song. And that song is 100% 80s cheese. Yep. And And not my favorite. I I would put Oh Girl over that one, honestly. Yeah, that one one I wasn't feeling. That one... (laughs) That one, when I was watching it, I wanted to bring it up, but I wanted to save it for the podcast is so, you know, as you're a (laughs) developing young man, you every once in a while get your hands on a little bit of smut. 
<laughs> and some of that smut from the 90s that I would every once in a while attain is are these very soft core videotapes. It's a that, lot of shadows. <laughs> that, well, that were produced by Playboy magazine, which would basically be like a centerfold dancing naked, no actual like lovemaking, yeah. no actual hardcore stuff. They were just naked, kind of dancing. Stuff around. that maybe if you had free Cinemax for a week and you were up late at night, you might stumble upon. Right, right. You know, it's just, you know, you're you're a young man and you want to see the, the, the female form. And this song, Bring Down the Moon, reminds me of something that would have been playing when someone, say, Pamela Anderson or Jenny McCarthy or somebody was twirling and dancing and posing seductively in a Playboy video that came when someone subscribed to a year of Playboy, that, that sort of thing. I think you would buy in National Record Mart on the top shelf. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was one of those type of songs. A little bit sexy, pretty cheesy, but someone could definitely take their clothes off too. Exactly. That is what I got from that song. That is, that is, yeah. But then you, and I missed this part while doing the research that they're back. <laughs> they, they are. I mean, they released their third album, New Dream in 1991, but it got shelved. Yes. And that was kind of the end of Boy Meets Girl. They finally released and remastered that album that got shelved in 2005. So 14 years later, they finally released that album. And then it was also around that time, like you mentioned earlier, they got divorced, but they were big enough to continue with their musical collaboration. And they released their fourth album, The Wonderground, on their own album. And dude, I can't imagine. There must have been such a strong working bond and it must have been such a mutual thing to be able to just be like no we can continue our working relationship and be able to still be friends and business partners i don't have that sort of (laughs) i think sometimes it's just about if both people have come to the conclusion that it's not right um because the other example and not quite the same because they were very briefly collaborators but uh, Jim Henson and his wife, when they filed for divorce, I think they were fully divorced by the time Jim Henson died. But reportedly, it was like they all still got together for Christmas and Thanksgiving as a family. Like they were very close friends, mm-hmm. despite the fact it was just literally that she had realized that her husband was always going to put his work above everything. <laughs> right. And she was just like, I, people don't know this piece too much unless they read like the biographies but all of the Muppet stuff was produced in England while his family lived in the States so he was gone like nine months out of the year he wasn't successful enough that he could have just done that here no he liked doing it in England Wow. because because the English people were way more receptive to the Muppet stuff so they would like give him the money to do something like Dark Crystal and Labyrinth Mm. where in the States they were they still treat him like he was just a Sesame Street guy so he couldn't do like more artistic out there stuff. That's why. So the whole story is that's why he signed the Muppets to Disney was that Disney was going to start doing all the production work. So he didn't have to be in England, but that's when he got his pneumonia and died. Mm. Um, but yeah, like that was, he was like a die, the whole, all of like the seventies and eighties, he was like a diehard workaholic because England was basically fronting the bill for all of his projects. Right. So, what I get from this man, and you know, I could be way wrong about this, but this comes down to you brought up that in 2021 they released the song More Deeply in Love with You. It was the first single from their 
EP called Five, and they made a music video for it. It was obviously made like kind of in the height of the pandemic. They're by themselves. It's one of those things, you know, those videos that were made. I made some of them, but they're wearing masks and... The song? It was made on the cheap, for sure. It looks yeah. like it's just guerrilla footage of them walking around in, in areas but where they live. Yeah, like it's, by, it's... by themselves, wearing masks. And it has whistling in it. Definitely a very catch, catchy whistling part. Yep. It sounds very contemporary adult. Con- very contemporary adult contemporary. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those things where it's just pop and it sounds very of the time. But you and I were both kind of like, this is good for cheesy pop. It you is. Know? It is. If that song came on the radio, I wouldn't turn the dial. I was surprised at how good it was. And it just, it's testament to them as songwriters. And one thing I wanted to say is like every step of the way, when I see these two, I'm like, these just seem like really nice people. Yeah. And I could be way off about that. But the fact that they were able to push through a separation and divorce and still remain songwriting partners. And in this video, it looks like they're friends. You know, I think that's pretty cool. So, <laughs> did you hear about the 2005 sample battle <laughs> that happened with this song? No. Okay, so in 2005, Waiting for a Star to Fall was involved in what was referred to as a sample battle. Hmm. Two electric music groups, that's the wording from Wikipedia, the cabin crew, as well as the Sunset Strippers, both wanted to sample the song and remix it. The Sunset Strippers, who are from the UK, won the right to the sample through the band's record label and released their song Falling Stars. However, the cabin crew from Australia just hired George to re-record his vocals so they could remix it for their song, also entitled Star to Fall or Star Number 2 Fall. Then a year later, a Scottish DJ... <laughs> remixed the song with Kim Carnes' Betty Davis eyes to create mm. his own song out of those two samples. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's cool how things could be repurposed. I never heard either of those. Songs. I've never heard any of those things. I what what I find curious is that while I enjoy this waiting for a star to fall song, it's not a song that I listen to and I go, "Oh, we got to sample that. Yeah. We got to take the essence of this for our track." Right. Um, you know, this song, do you feel like this song still stood the test of time? Do you hear? I feel no. like, I, no, <laughs> I, I think here's, so I've been waiting for the right time to tell you this. I had this song on my computer. Uh-huh. I had no recollection of downloading it. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized that the artist, when I downloaded this, however many years ago off of Napster or LimeWire or whatever, was listed as Boy Meets World. Uh And I guess I was downloading, I was trying to find audio clips from Boy Meets World. I'm like, waiting for a star to fall by Boy Meets World. What the fuck is that? And downloaded it. So I think that people my age or younger Mm -hmm. who were three to five years old when this song was at its cultural peak, I do not think that this song has has persisted. I I think that Boy Meets Girl may be another band you can add to the growing list of things that Nirvana murdered the second that Smells Like Teen Spirit blew up in the pop culture. I don't know if I agree. I think this song has been playing in grocery stores and dentist office and everything (laughs) on easy listening channels. I don't think it's ever gone away. All the top spots that teenagers go to find new music. (laughs) Well, maybe not teenagers, but I don't think this song is an obscure 
thing. I think it has persisted. And I'm curious. I, I want people to sign. We'll we'll put a. I'll post a poll when we drop this episode. Okay. I'm curious. I and and not because I'm challenging you. You probably could be right. I just think like I barely knew this song. Really, and it's like I. But that I, I've also found as we've done this show that like for some reason it's like 87 to like 90 is this very weird weak spot hmm. in my music knowledge. I could spout for hours about sh- one song that came out in like 1958 hmm. and I could talk for hours on like some obscure follow-up single by a band in the 90s, but that like late 80s into the pre-grunge era. Mm-hmm. Just nothing. Wow. Okay. I mean, I guess I was, things were being, I mean, think about this. When you're, I'm seven or eight years old when this song comes out. Yeah. Oh, how do you and, not love this song when and, you're seven or eight? Now? Yeah. So that, think about that time. That's when your brain is just absorbing everything. You're learning how to read. You're learning like all this stuff. It's the perfect time to learn anything. I'm learning songs that are getting lodged in my head forever and I feel like this is a song that never went away. I feel like it's a song that I still hear. And that is why, Matt, I feel like George and Shannon, otherwise known as Boy Meets Girl, are thunder, not only because of this song, but also because of their success before this song of proving to the world, like, we don't need Whitney Houston's absolutely incredible voice to have a hit. We'll do it ourselves. And on top of that, all these years later, putting out a pretty decent song that sounds more contemporary in the adult contemporary wor- world, I would say Thunder. I'm going to go with you. Okay. Even though I don't think that the song stood the test of time, I think that the songs that they have written for other people, specifically I Want to Dance with Somebody, has stood the test of time. I think that this is a very good song. And the fact that I think their second best song is something that they just wrote a year and some change ago mm-hmm. shows that they still got the pop skill that got them here in the first place. One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Fafalius of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing In the Powdered Blue off the Punchline album, Lion. Visit punchlion.com for merch, tour dates, and news. We're on Patreon now. Become a patron and get bonus content, early episodes, and a chance to vote on future episodes at patreon.com backslash ohtpodcast. Do you want to start a podcast? Contact Chris and myself at WeKnowPodcasting.com for how we can make your show sound as professional as possible. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. And tune in next week for more One Hit Thunder. listening to the Geekscape Network. Welcome 
to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.